Good evening. If you would, open up your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 28. Again, I appreciate the privilege of being here. I was here just a few months ago, actually. I came at the end of April and the 1st of May and preached a revival, a part of revival, and God was really good. And um, I was very weak after having had surgery. I had been in the hospital for 25 days, and they had taken a um, cyst out of my body, and they had about 50 pounds worth, and I lost in one day, and uh, a couple days anyway, they drained it, and then they removed it, and it was a big, big, big ordeal. And if those who remember me that was here last year, I had a really hard time. Uh, but I wanted to come to camp meeting last year so bad because I thought, I want God to heal me. And I wanted to have that, uh, that testimony. I just really did. I thought, surely the Lord will just take this out of me and whatever it is, and just he would just heal me. And uh, I was prayed for uh, several times, and I just want to testify to the fact that uh, when I was prayed for, there was a couple things happened for me. And the, the thing didn't move out of my stomach. But one thing that I, I noticed happened was there had been like a cloud of, of fear over me. Does that make sense? It wasn't like I was afraid, but it was like it just kind of followed me around. And, um, and that changed. That was gone. And I thought, it's okay. Whatever happens is okay. And um, so I had a, a little bit more of a positive mindset about whatever was going to go happen. But I just want to thank God for the prayers of all the saints. And I know that you all have and probably still are praying for me. Um, that I was in the hospital at the end of April, right before I came down here in April. And the doctor told me, he said, your kidneys are, are terrible. And um, he said, I give you six to nine months to live. And um, so I told you all that in April or May, whenever. And, and I know that um, kidneys still are not great, but uh, I'm here by God's grace. Amen. Amen. And he is, he is with me every step of the way, and I feel so much better than what I did then. I don't know what my actual numbers are today. I was supposed to go into the hospital uh, this week again to find out, but I said, well, I got camp meeting. I'm just going to put that one off, so well, we didn't, didn't do that. But I just want to thank God and thank you all for all your prayers. As we look into the scripture, into the word of God, this is something that has uh, been a, a staple to me. Not necessarily the scripture, but the topic tonight, the presence of God. In Genesis 28, verse 10, And Jacob went out from Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he lighted upon a certain place and tarried there all night, because the sun was set. And he took off the stones of that place, and he put them for his pillows, and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, a ladder set upon the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood above it and said... I am the Lord God of Abraham thy father and the God of Isaac, the land whereon thou, dwell, thou liest. To thee will I give it and to thy seed 
And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth, and thou shalt spread abroad to the west, and to the east, and to the north, and to the south, and, to, and in thee and in thy seed shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Yeah. And behold, I am with thee, and will keep thee in all places whither thou goest, and will bring thee again into this land, for I will not leave thee until I have done that which I have spoken to thee of. And Jacob awaked out of his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place. And I knew it not. And he was afraid and said, How dreadful is this place? This is none other than the house of God. And this is the gate of heaven. And Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put for his pillows, and he set it up for a pillar, and poured oil upon the top of it. And he called the name of that place Bethel. But the name of the city was called Luz at first. And Jacob vowed a vow, saying, If God will be with me and will keep me in this way that I go, I will, and will give me bread to eat and raiment to put on, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set for a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me, I will surely give the tenth unto thee. Let us pray. Our precious Heavenly Fathers, we look to you tonight. We thank you, O God for the privilege we have to serve you. I thank you, Lord, for the opportunity. I thank you for your presence. I thank you for your faithfulness. And I'm asking you once again that your Holy Spirit will take this word, oh God, and this message you've laid upon my heart. Carry it home to the hearts of each one that's here. Oh God, you know their lives in detail. I don't. But I know your spirit does. And I know and I know and I want to thank you ahead of time for the faithfulness, oh Lord, that your spirit is to every soul that's here tonight. And I thank you, oh God, oh Lord, as you draw and as you speak, as you challenge, as you encourage. Oh God, I just ask you, oh Lord, that this people, oh God, may sense you tonight. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jacob, before this, had been kind of like a little rounder, scoundrel. <laughs> you know, he kind of got his brother's birthright, got his brother at a low point and made a deal. And then when it comes to the end of his daddy's life, getting close to the end of his daddy's life, he thought, I'm going to get the blessing too. So he not only wanted the birthright, he wanted the blessing as well, and he tried to figure out his mother worked, he and his mother worked up a, a plan. They're going to get this blessing for Jacob, because Jacob was Rachel's favorite, or Rebecca's favorite. And so she helped him figure out what to do, how he, how he could trick his daddy into giving him the blessing. So he goes through this thing of tricking his daddy. Well, I want you to know his older his brother was just a few minutes older than him. But his older brother, Esau, got really, really angry about it. He said, I've had enough of this guy. And Jacob and his and uh, Jacob's mother and his dad realized we gotta do something. So his mother goes to the daddy and says, Listen, I don't want my son to marry any of these women here. Send them back somewhere. So she figures up she helps create the story that he needs to leave home. And so the truth of the matter is, is that Jacob is leaving home, not just to go find another wife, he's leaving home to spare his life. He's running. 
on the run. Yeah. yeah, he is going over and he does stay with Uncle Laban and works for Uncle Laban and we know how what happened there. But as he's left his house, he's now headed to this place. He is alone and he's out there in the wilderness alone. He's made his bed and he's going to have to lay in it. The life he created is right where it brought him. And that's what a lot of people have done. They don't realize that, but in their lives that they have done the things that they've done in the past is done, done, and they've already created who they are, and many times they feel like that's it. You know, like, what's, what's the hope now? Where can we go from here now? I've already did this. I've already done that. I've already disappointed this person. I already did that. It doesn't matter. I'm already named whatever. As Jacob's name means tripper. He said, I'm already, I'm already kind of that guy. What difference does it make now? I've already set it all in motion. So, but right before he left, his father said something to him. He says, I want you to know the God that God Almighty bless thee and make thee fruitful and multiply thee and that thou mayest be a multitude of people. And give thee the blessing of Abraham to thee, and to thy seed forever that thou mayest inherit the land where thou art a stranger, which God gave unto Abraham. I don't know what Jacob thought when he left, but I don't think he was thinking, oh, I'm somebody special. I think he must have thought, that's wishful thinking, Dad. You just think I'm going to turn out to be somebody worthwhile. That was just his daddy's words. It didn't mean anything. There's a lot of times kids grow up and think, somebody says, well, you know, this uh, God's got his hand on, you, on this child and God's going to do something good for this child. But I'm going to tell you, that child can go and make all kinds of choices and decisions. Amen. You all know that's true. Amen. And we've watched it happen. We watched a generation walk away that had an opportunity, a prime opportunity to serve God. They had all the, everything laid out there, but they still made their choice somewhere else. It just happens, okay? That happens with a lot of people. But I want you to know that God, in his faithfulness, God, in his faithfulness, finds you in your wilderness every time. God, in his goodness, Knows how to show up. And he will. It just so happened it showed up a little bit different for Jacob. He dreamed. I don't know if you've ever had any dreams that meant anything to you. I can remember before, right before I really gave my heart to the Lord, I had a dream. And uh, I was in my early, probably about 12 I don't know how old I was, but it's pretty young. But I had this dream. I dreamed that the whole world had, had come to an end and that we were all in this great big, huge, like a gigantic parking lot. All the people of the earth was in this parking lot. And uh, Jesus and the angels was on one side and they were gathering their group together. And the devil and all of his demons were gathering a group together on the other side. Now, this dream really impacted me, I'm telling you. And uh, because in my dream, the devil, one of the devil's demons, come and grabbed me and put me in their lineup. 
And I watched in this dream and thinking, Jesus is going to leave and that whole group is going on without me. And I'm stuck in the devil's camp. And about that time, and I thought all hope was lost. Jesus come walking around in the devil's line, and he says, you got one of mine. And he pulled me out of the lineup. How would you know that was just a dream? I know it was a dream. But when you're not serving the Lord, all of a sudden it all is this very impactful for me. And I thought, there's some kind of communication going on with God and my soul, and I don't even know it. You see, a lot of times, when God begins to appear himself to you, or show himself to you, he begins to show you your potential. And you might not realize that. You might think, well, that's just wishful thinking. Or that's just, I, I, not really, I haven't really thought much about it. What's my life about? What's it really real? Does it matter at all? You know, I think sometimes we think I'm just one of the billions on the planet. How can that be anything special? Right? Just one of the million, millions, billions that are alive and ever been alive. And we don't think about that somehow between you and heaven... God still has a ladder. And Jacob wasn't living the kind of life that would say, oh yeah, he was blessed with all the angels protecting him. He hadn't lived that kind of life. But God had angels going up and down. And I want to see what that is. An angel is a messenger from God. And God has messengers from him. That are almost daily talking back to God and to you. God and you. God and you. And at the top of that ladder, God, even Jesus said that we need to be careful about the little ones. Don't offend them. He said because their angels do always behold the face of the Father. Didn't he say that? They have angels that are beholding the face of the Father. Now, you may never have seen an angel. You may never know about you. But God has messengers that are constantly moving back and forth between heaven and you. Now, every once in a while, you may feel something. You may not realize it. It may not come in a dream to you. It may not be anything like that. You may not even seem like to even have any kind of awareness at all. But God is trying to make known to you a possibility. A possibility. When Jacob woke up, when Jacob woke up, he woke up literally and spiritually with a new understanding than ever before. I know his daddy had talked to him about God and the promises that God had given to Abraham and God had passed on down to Isaac and that God was wanting to pass it on down to Jacob. You know, God is good to every generation. God just wanted to pass that down. He may have heard those things, but it wasn't 
It wasn't his personal message. It, wasn't, it was still his daddy's message. It was his mama's message. It was grandpa's message. It wasn't his personal message until this night. And God's speaking to him, listen, I am the God. And this is what I will do. Jacob said, this is something. There's something very, and all of a sudden, it wasn't about God as much. It, it was God, but it was all of a sudden, this place must be something different. This, this place is different. He says, it's dreadful, is what he said. It's a dread. It's something that, it, it changed something in him. It changed something in him. He says, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. God began to bring to him what your potential is, what the promise is, and what his purpose was. See, a lot of times people don't really, they're just, they're just going through life. They don't, under, they don't understand the potential that God has placed in, the promise that God has for their life, and they don't ever want to try to, to, try to live out the purpose. God has a lot bigger purposes than any kind of plan you could make. Whatever plans you made for your life are just too small compared to the plans of God. Just too small. He says, this, this, must, be the, this must be the house of God. This must be where God is at. God is here. He said, in fact, he said, this, this must be the gate of heaven. I'm at the very gates of heaven. He immediately had a response. He said, this is a monumental moment in my life. I know all of us have had monumental moments in our lives. Sometimes they were tragedies. Sometimes they were happy times. Sometimes they were just big changes. We've had monumental moments in our life. All of us have already. But Jacob said in this monumental moment, that which I had used last night as a hard stone of a whole, my whole old life, he said, I'm setting that up as a whole new thing now. This pillow is now a pillar. Right? This place used to be called Luz. Oh, no. This is something different now. This is Bethel. This is called the house of God. It ain't going to be the same. There's not, nothing's going to be the same. He set it up in his mind that there was something tremendous had happened that night. And it was. And Jacob vowed a vow that if God would do what God had promised to do, that he would let the Lord be his God. And he says, and more than that, I'm going to give you back a tenth of everything you ever give to me. One of the first times we ever hear about that. But it changed who he was. Who was Jacob before? Was he trying to pay people? No, he was trying to take things before. And now he's trying to give to a God he's never met. It was a change made in Jacob that night. A lot of things began to change for him. And from that moment, even though he looked like he got tricked a time or two by his uncle, Jacob, there was, a, there was a process of change began to happen in the life of Jacob. 
Jacob didn't want to have problems with his brother anymore. He wanted a time when he could go back to be with his brother. He wanted that time, and God allowed him to go back. And he had another encounter with God, if you remember, after that. When he went back, he met him at another place, a place he called Penuel. And he wrestled with God in the night. And God changed his name then. Jacob had changed the names of some places, but God changed his name. You see, we need the presence of God in our day more than we need anything at all. Right now, in the current condition of the world, we need it the most. We need it the most. We say, well, the presence of God, God's everywhere, isn't he? Yeah. But what are we asking for when we say we want God's presence? We want a manifest presence of God in our midst. We want a felt presence. We want a heard presence. We want something that we absolutely know that God was there. We need that. But for the most part, we also, like Jacob, we've made our bed. We made our own bed. We've created, we've created systems and programs and all kinds of things and have excluded God out of almost everything in America, in our families, in our schools, in our churches. God is almost just where it's not even important anymore for most people. They've excluded them, but I'm going to tell you what, the results is you're going to make, you've made your bed. In many places, God's not even acknowledged, and if he's not acknowledged, he cannot be reverenced, nor can he be honored. And to tell the truth, there's a great many things that we need today that only God can do. We can do a lot of things. We seem to have lots of talents and lots of abilities and lots of words and lots of, lots of things and, and prosperity and, and lots of lots. They're all the programs you can come up with, with all the prosperity you can have, with all the talents and all the words and everything. That does not produce the presence of the power of God. All my words can't save a soul. It can't heal a body. It can convict him. And the, my words and, and your words and my, my talents and my abilities, though I may have lots of them, I cannot affect the work of God Amen. outside of the Spirit of God. We need God more than anything. And we need God's presence more than anything. Souls need salvation and bodies need to be healed. Nations need a wake-up call. The kingdoms of Satan's dominions need to be subdued. I think some of the kingdoms that need to be overturned and subdued are drug, the drug alcohol addictions, child abuse, the kingdom of perversion, the kingdom of lust, the kingdom of immorality, the kingdom of all those kind of things. There needs to be an overthrow of those kingdoms. I preached a message not too long ago about the unnamed heroes of Hebrews 11. 
It says, and they subdued kingdoms. I think of all the things they did, we don't even know who they were. They had something with God that was more powerful and more mighty than what most people can even imagine today. Subdued kingdoms. We need God. And we need God to show up. It was last June. I was at a pretty low ebb. I was during the Altapass camp meeting. I'd always been wanting to go, but I can't go to all of them. I would like to have gone, but I was too sick to go anywhere. And I remember getting up during that, mor- that morning, and I told Phil, I said, uh, I looked in the mirror, and I said, I, I, I'm dying a little bit every day. I said, I can see it. And I don't know what made him do it, but he called Brenda Borders. I guess he told her. And after a while, I think, did you call me, Brenda? I don't know, I might call. I think you called me, and I was down at the print shop. I was so sick, I could barely go. And I just said, somebody needs to go get God. Somebody needs to go get God. God needs to show up. She and a bunch of others began to pray. God showed up. If he hadn't showed up in June, I couldn't have been here last July. But God showed up. You see, today there's too much man and too little God. There's too much man in the pulpit. There's too much men in the singing. There's too much men running things. There's too much of, of us being shown. There's too much of that. But there's so little of God. We need more of God and less of us. He must increase and we must decrease. We need more of God. We need more people who have a discernment of the Spirit and know when God's moving and when God's not. There's too many people want to work up something. I'll tell you what, you don't work up the Spirit of God. You have to remain humble beneath it. You don't work it up. There are other people who have, they acknowledge God with their mouth. What Jesus said, talked about those people, he said, they acknowledge me with their mouth. He said, but their heart is far from me. Even though the presence of God is everywhere, they're not anywhere close to God. Their hearts are far from him. They're not there. God's not there in their, their lives in power and in glory. They may nay hold the truth, as Romans chapter 1 says. They hold the truth, but they hold it in unrighteousness. What a scary thing to know and to have been taught the truth and yet have turned your back and to live a different way. The Bible says the wrath of God is on those people. Not the favor, not the blessing, not the power, not the glory, but the wrath of God. And God says he'll just give those people over to a reprobate mind. Some people are just unconcerned, unaware, and unconverted. They're still going on through their old Jacob life. They're not wanting to have an encounter with God. They're not listening to see if God is really trying to make an encounter with them. 
because they've got some other things going on in their life that they feel like is just too important. I want you to know that sin will separate you from God, from his presence, and from his family. Sin will dull your spiritual senses. It will toughen your heart toward God. It'll get to the place where God's not even felt or heard anymore. And yet that's the state a lot of people are in, and they think they're living in the favor of God. You cannot live in sin and at the same time be a child of God. The Bible makes it so clear, he that committed sin is of the devil. It's of the devil. Others may not have sinned to the point that they have in their conscience is hard and they're not maybe like that kind of person. But they're another person, that they're the kind of person that they have an avoidance. They don't want any conviction and they don't want any commitment. They are aware, yet remain unconverted. They are aware that God is real. To a certain degree, they have an awareness of it. But they are running away from his presence. When Adam and Eve sinned, you think they were eager for the presence of God? No. They hid from God. They hid from God. They were not excited to have God show up. They were not wanting God showing up in their life because they knew that God would know what they had done. Many people are like that. They're often thinking that somehow they can find a life and do it another way. They can do it another, and they can have life without God and be just fine. They don't have to have God in every moment of their day. Many people think that somehow they can hide themselves from the presence of God. Jacob may have been running, but he ran right into God. Cain, the Bible says when Cain had committed the sin he committed, it says he left from the presence of God. He went out from the presence of God. Jonah, whenever he decided to disobey God, you know what it says for him? He got away from the presence of God. He didn't want the presence of God. See, there's something about the presence of God. It, it, it does something. It's effective. But it doesn't matter where you go to try to get away from the presence of God. That is impossible. David wrote in Psalms 139, he says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit, or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there. Shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. There is no place to run out and get out of the presence of God. There's nowhere you can go. Now you may think, I don't want God, what you're saying is you don't want to have to feel him. You don't want to have to be changed by it. You don't want to have to, have to face it. You don't want to have to do that. And you may claim you never have had any feelings or experiences. I don't know. But God is everywhere, even if he's not sensed by anybody, felt by anybody, he's still real, and he's still there. You see, having a perception of the presence of God 
is vital. It's absolutely essential. For a child of God, to remain a child of God, you must believe that he is. We must believe that he is. That he is, he is in existence. There's a lot of people today feel like, no big thing. You know, you can be an atheist. You can be an agnostic. You can be whatever you want to be. Yeah, you can. But it doesn't change the truth of the fact he is. God is. A lot of people think, well, like, you know, I'm just, I've, I've graduated to a level. I kind of have a better understanding of things than what they used to in the 1800s. I want to tell you what, if the people could have an understanding of God as much today as they did in the 1800s, we'd see a revival. If the people of our day would see God in the light that they did in the 1600s and the 1400s and the 200s, I want to tell you what, there would be a turnaround in our world today. So many people want to ignore the fact of that God even exists. Jacob was not aware of God's presence at first. Many people are not aware of the presence of God. You may not have felt him in the service tonight, but he's here. He's here. He is here. You know, Samson had been so blessed with the presence of God that God had given him extra strength and everything. But whenever Samson disobeyed God, the Bible says that the Spirit left him. He says, Samson didn't even know it. He never knew when the Spirit left him. I think that's kind of a sad thing. It says, and the Spirit of God left him, and he knew it not. He wished it not. He didn't know anything about it. There was a time when King Saul, who had been blessed and anointed with God, and God's Spirit had been upon him. But the Bible says that when Saul disobeyed, that the Spirit of God left him, and another evil spirit came to torment him. And it always happens that way. Whenever you run away from the Spirit of God, you reject God and you reject His his Spirit, there will always be other evil spirits to come to take His place. Spirits of bitterness. Bitterness is a, it takes its place of the Spirit of God. It don't work with the Spirit of God. It tries to take its place. All kinds of other spirits wants to creep in. The spirit of lust. The spirit of disobedience. The spirit of some, a rebellion. The spirit. There's so many other spirits that want to come in to take the place of the Spirit of God. But Jacob, Jacob, stopped. And I know he's going to say, could this be real? Was this just a dream? I've dreamed lots of dreams. Was this just a dream? Does it really have anything to do with me? Could it really been God? You see, a lot of times God doesn't bring a big dream to us. God may not show up in bright lights on a road to Damascus to us. God may not clump clap with thunder, you know, and move the mountains like he did in Nahum's day. He may not just seem like to have a mighty move of anything that everybody can say, oh, that was God. It may be like the preacher said this morning, just that still small voice. 
But that still small voice is what it does. It starts to tugging at your heart. It starts tugging at you. A lot of times God will start pointing back to things. Things will come up back in your mind you never really have thought about before. All of a sudden, like, now you're thinking about God things again. And a lot of times people try to shove that off. Ah, uh, too much religion. Too much mama. Too much daddy. Too much grandma. Grandpa. Got to get away from them. They're getting to me. And it's not that at all. It's the Spirit of God that's come back to let you know that there is a message coming to you back and forth from heaven and say, I have got a plan for you. I've got a plan for your life. I'm going to be there with you. I promise to be with you. I promise to give you what I said I would do. I'm going to fulfill my word in you, and I'm not going to leave you until I get my word fulfilled in you. God is so good. When God calls us, when God wants us, God don't just stop short, short way. He don't say, oh, hey, 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 hey. No, when God wanted us, he sent his son for us. Even though the world would rejected his son, God's constantly sending, sending messengers to you back and forth, back and forth. Pulling at your heart. And you think, well, this really doesn't mean me. It's somebody else. It's somebody else. It's not about me tonight. And they say, well, she didn't even know I was going to come, and I didn't know I was going to be there. This doesn't have anything to do with me. I'm going to tell you what, it has everything to do with you. God does not make mistakes. And when God wants to start tugging at your heart, he makes it personal. He makes it personal. He's not coming and saying, well, I'm just, I'm just this is kind of a general thing. No, God's going to every little bitty heart that's here tonight. And he's beginning to talk to each one of them and saying, you know what? I had a plan for you. I have a plan for you in your life. I'm not done with you yet. There's something more. I've got a plan for you. And won't you come? Won't you yield? Won't you listen? Won't you let me be your God? I want to be there for you. He makes it personal. It may feel like a dream, but it's real. It may feel like it's just a little tugging of your heart, but it's God. It may feel like it's just a glimpse, maybe just a slight glimpse of what your life could have been had you followed him. It might feel like it's just maybe wishful thinking. I want you to know what? God works. Just like that. And God begins just little things in your life. There is a constant communication of angels and God on your behalf. Did you know that? There's a constant communication going on between me and God. I am so thankful for that. And I'm so thankful that God is in control. And one thing I knew, and I told the Lord, because it looked like I was going to die, and I was pretty positive nobody had much hope for me, <laughs> to tell the truth. But I said, you know what? God's going to keep me as long as he wants me here. And I still say it today. He's going to keep me as long as he wants me here. I can live without kidneys if he wants me to. Because he's God. 
and he's real. And down at the hardest times of our life, does it ever leave us? They took me to the hospital in January, I think it was 20th of this year. I couldn't hold any food down. I hadn't been able to hold any food down for weeks. And if you all know, my stomach was out here, and I couldn't even turn over in the bed without kind of taking my arms and helping my stomach move. And it was pretty miserable. And uh, I was very sick, very, very sick. And Brenda and Kevin were down, and she was going to leave, but I guess the Lord told her she needed to stay. And uh, they came to visit me in the hospital while I was there. And, and I know it's just a bunch of confusion in the hospital all the time anyway. But there was something happened to me while I was in there. And I said, you know what? And I started singing. And I think Brenda said, what's that? And I said, I want to hear that song. This is the time I must sing. And so he pulled it up on the, on the phone and I began to sing. Be silent, you mountains, you fields and your fountains, for this is the time I must sing. It's the time to sing praises to the rock of the ages. Oh, this is the time I must sing. And I sang that over and over and over again. And I realized it didn't matter if I was at the bottom part of my life. It was at the lowest ebb possible. This was the time I must sing. It was the time I must sing. It was the time I must praise. It was the time I must have faith. It was the time that I must know the presence of God was real. It was the time. It was the time. I was pretty discouraged. I think I shared this with you last when I was here in April. I was really discouraged that my sister had come to visit me and they couldn't find a doctor to help me. Anywhere, nobody said I was too big of a risk and no doctor wanted to help me. And I thought, well, yeah. <laughs> and everybody says, it's just what you get for waiting so late. You know, that's what they say. And I said, well, that's okay. I'm in God's hands and it's okay if I go. I just don't think it's quite time. But it's okay. But I can remember... Telling my sister, I said, she said, I'll pray for you so you'll feel better. Get a night's rest before she left that night. And I, I said, no. I said, pray for my faith. Pray for my faith. I said, I need to keep knowing God is real. And God is hearing my prayers. And God cares. I said, pray for my faith. I said, if I died, I die. But I don't want to die facing him without faith. She said, okay, and she left. And a little nurse that was there in the hospital, a little black nurse, she come up to me, she's an older woman. She said, name was Nelsini, and she said, I heard what you said to your sister. She said, but I got a word from God for you. <laughs> I said, okay. She said, I know you're a pastor. And she said, you haven't changed. God hasn't changed. She said, but there's something, it's time for something else to change. And she said, your message is going to change. I said, okay. <laughs> kind of felt weird. Like, how am I going to change that message? I don't know. And she said, I want you to know something. 
She said, you're all upset because you're laid up in the hospital and you can't do anything for God. And I said, I feel like a big failure. She said, I want you to know that your testimony is all over this hospital and there's nobody that don't know about you and God. And I said, what? I didn't understand that. I said, what do you mean? She said, nobody lives with your numbers. They're all dead. She said, everybody in the hospital knows that, but you're alive. She said, you don't have to do anything because God is with you. And I said, I don't understand. I said, you mean nobody's like ever been like me? He says, no, honey, you're a different breed. <laughs> Thank God. Thank God. God makes it personal. God makes it personal. He did it for Saul on the road to Damascus. There's so much. But the Bible says the grace of God hath appeared to all men. The grace of God that bringeth salvation hath appeared to all men. And God's grace is wanting to appear to you. And did you know you cannot get saved and get right without, with God, without the Spirit of God, without the presence of God? You can't do it. It's so important because it's your spiritual growth that depends upon His presence in your life. It's good to have it in your church, but it's a personal thing. A lot of people sit back and they want to see God's work corporately. We want to see a great move of God. And we think, well, I could get in on it if I could see the great move of God. I want to tell you what, God has always moved personally. He'll move with you and with you and with you and with you. And God begins to move on us in a powerful way. And then after a while, we have the move of God within us, the fire of God moving within us. And we begin to share one with another. And God begins to affect everything. Be looking for it personally. I want to close with a few thoughts about practicing the presence and the power of God. Just some two, two ideas. Think, how do I acquire the presence of God? What must I do to have God in a greater way and greater measure in my life, in our church, in our workers, in my family? What must I do? First of all, I believe we must acknowledge God and His presence. We must acknowledge the reality of God in everything. Acknowledge him in all your ways. I believe we have to humble ourselves in the presence of God. The Bible says the Lord will dwell with those that are of contrite and humble spirit. God doesn't dwell with the the proud and the wicked. God lives with those that have a humble spirit. And so God's looking for that. God's looking for someone who's praying for it. Who's praying for it. Even when David sinned. David says, cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. He knew that his sin deserved that. But he begged God, don't leave me. Don't don't give up on me. Don't turn your back on me. I know I messed up, but please, Lord. Please, Lord, don't leave me. 
Pray about it. Moses prayed about it. He told the Lord, he says, if your presence don't go with us, don't, don't take us anywhere. I don't even want to go anywhere without your presence. I think the same way we all need to feel. I don't want to go anywhere without the presence of God. We need to live holy lives as we know sin separates us from God. You need to praise him. Wherever God is honored, he likes to show up. All right? So whenever you have an honoring session for the Lord, he's going to be there. When you begin to give reverence to him and praise to God, God's going to show up. He even says he inhabits the praise. He inhabits our praise. God doesn't do anything outside of the accordance with his word. So if you want the presence of God, it must come in in alignment with the word of God. Our lives need to come in alignment with the word of God. God's just not some mystical person out there that is detached from from everything. God is connected seriously to his word. He takes it seriously. In fact, when the spirit of God was there in the very beginning, the thing that was the most powerful and effective was the word of God when he said, let there be light. All of a sudden light. It was just his word. You can't separate God from his word. So we need to hang on to the word of God. Take it within us. Abide in him. Let his words abide in us. Let us abide in his words. And he said that there's powerful things that happen if you will do that. King Solomon found out when he was wanted to put God first and put sacrifice. See, a lot of people want God to do everything for them. They say, Jesus sacrificed his life. That's all I need. But there's no way you truly can show God you mean anything until you're willing to lay down your life. It got quiet. I know it is. A lot of people just want God to give them everything. But God wants us to lay down our life. Lay down your life. He says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God. What you do? You get on the altar. You lay it all down. A lot of people want to hang on to their things, but God showed up in a powerful way when Abraham laid his Isaac down. And I don't know what your Isaac may be in your life, but I'll tell you what, we need to lay it down if we want God to show up. Sometimes our Isaac is just our opinions. It's just our way of doing things. It's who we think we are, and we need to lay it down. God can show up. But he don't want to show up when you are too big of a God in your own life. Another thing is really important is the fellowship, not only with God through prayer, the fellowship with the saints of God. I never found anybody that had the Spirit of God upon them and they didn't want to be with God's people. It always works together. Jesus said, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, where did he say he'd be? He said, I'll be right there in the midst of them. So many times people don't, they just said, we are such an anonymous society. Nobody wants to be connected or committed to anybody, to anything, to any, any the position or any kind of work for the Lord. They just want to, they just want to kind of drift in and help whenever they want to kind of drift in and help. Don't you what God wants people who are willing to connect with somebody else in his name. 
Be connected to the people of God. Be willing to share the burden with the people of God. Begin and pray with them. Begin to work with them, to minister with them, to, to tell the work of God, to do things together with God's people. What happens is so many times, because people don't have the Spirit of God, they can't get two or three people to get along. I'll tell you, when you got the Spirit of God, you should be able to get along with certainly two or three other people who have the Spirit of God. I want you to know, you want God to show up? You get with somebody in Jesus' name. Get with your husband. Get with your wife. Get with, with your Sunday school teacher. Get with somebody and sit down and say, we need God, and we need God to show up. I want to tell you what, church, we need God to show up. If God don't show up for this generation, there will not be another generation of camp meetings. If God don't show up, there's not going to be another generation of children who are out there spreading the gospel around. It will not happen. We need God. We need God's presence in a real and mighty way. The presence of God is powerful. Just a few thoughts on that. As I said at the beginning, there's only some things that only God can do. There's some things only God can do. We make do. I try to build things up through emotionalism sometimes. We make do with our talents and our programs. There's only some things God can do. Only God can answer prayers. He said, if you abide with me and my words abide you, you shall ask what you will. Only God can produce the fruit of the Spirit. Everything else is faked. The Bible says, in his presence is fullness of joy. In his presence is fullness of joy. As the brother mentioned in the psalm, saying, joy unspeakable and full of glory. In his presence is love. In his presence is faith and gentleness and goodness. Only the Spirit of God can produce those things. Only God can give life abundantly. He can do it creatively. He can do it restoratively. He can do more than what you can ask or think. But it only is God can do that. In fact, with God, all things are possible. I preached a message one time, limitless God with endless possibilities. That's the kind of God we have. A limitless God with endless possibilities. This God, because of his presence, he can empower. He can impart. He can impart his divine life. He can impart to us the fellowship. He can impart to us powers and gifts, and he can impart to us. He also is a God, and in his presence is always revelation. Always is. When God shows up, he starts to reveal things. Things about himself, things about you, things about perhaps the future. When God shows up, he's a revealer. Because he is a light like no other. A light that not only shines for today, but it can shine into the future, shine into your past. He can shine everywhere. He is a revealer. That's the kind of God we have. 
When Joseph knew God, he knew the secrets of the king of all the dreams. When Daniel, he knew the secrets of the dreams. Where did it come from? It come from God. It come from the presence of God. He received it through prayer and through, and through the answered prayer. God does those things. God's power presence brings protection. There is nothing that can harm you when God is there. Nothing. And I know it sounds silly, and I'm, one day I won't talk about going to the hospital. It was just a, such a strange thing to do in my life to start with because I never did it, ever. But I can remember the day I decided. I said, you know what? If God wants me to live, even a doctor can't kill me. That's why I, that's why I went. If God wants me to live, even the doctor can't kill me. He can't. God ain't going to let him happen. If God wants me to live, if God wants a door open for you, there's nobody who can shut it. And when God shuts a door for you, nobody can open it. God is able to destroy the enemy. He can turn back everything back on the enemy that he tries to come at you with. All things with God is possible. He is a protector, but he is a transformer. You know, when you come into the presence of an almighty God, you can't, and you acknowledge it, you cannot leave the same way. When Isaiah walked into the temple and the glory of God filled the temple, the train filled the temple. He said even the doorposts seemed to move at the glory of God. Isaiah found out God revealed to him. He says, woe am I. I'm a man of unclean lips. But when God's spirit moves in, he reveals things to you. You can't stay the same but at the end of it, I want to tell you what, you can't walk away without making the right pledge. <laughs> God, will, God will bring it. You can walk away. Don't get me wrong. You can walk away from God. You can turn the Spirit of God down and turn Him away, and He can turn you over. It can happen. But when you acknowledge the presence of God, that it truly is God, and allow God to do that tugging on your heart, there is going to be a response from you. And for Jacob, everything started changing. That wasn't just a pillow anymore. That was a pillar. That wasn't just Luz anymore. That was Bethel. That wasn't just, he wasn't just anybody trying to grab everything. It belonged to God. I don't tell you what, when God, when you have an encounter with God, all of a sudden you're going to begin to pledge some things back to the Lord. I want to ask you, what you pledge into the Lord? What you going to lay down tonight for the Lord? I already know God has talked to you. I don't think you have to be begged. I don't think we have to be begged. If you've had God speak to you, the privilege of his presence tonight is something monumental in your life. I ask you, have you felt him? He is here. He is here. So is Satan. 
one night, I was given a Wednesday night lesson. Chose the book of Jude to preach for some reason. I had an older woman in the church that had just started giving some trouble. I didn't understand what the deal was. Or why? And she stood up and gave a kind of a nasty testimony. I mean, I'm, I kind of took me off guard, and I thought, well, she's just having a bad day, I guess, you know. I threw it off. And I knew when I started the lesson, all of a sudden, that the power and the pressure of the enemy was present. And I thought, I don't know why the devil don't want me preaching on the book of Jude tonight, but he don't. I felt it. It was really real. That night in the service, my husband was sitting down on the second bench with Lana, and he felt it. I didn't say anything in the pulpit. He felt it. And he turned around and looked at Lana, and he said, Lana was about four years old. And he said, Lana, there's a devil in here. <laughs> well, that scared little Lana half to death. And so she started praying at four years old. Jesus, let me see that devil so it don't get me. I didn't know all that had gone on. It was after service, and I was just trying to get through the night. I think, well, you know, it was one of those nights, I think, that was over, you know, we're done. And she come up running up to me, Mama, Mama, Mama. I said, what is it, honey? She said, the devil is in here. And I'm like, <laughs> shh, shh. <laughs> And she said, no, Mama, Mama, I saw him. And after everybody kind of got away from me, I said, what did you see? And she said, and she pointed to me where he was, was by those people. And she said, Mama, he would get really, she said it was like water. He would get really big, and he would hover over him, and he would go back down small. He'd get really big. She said, but I could see him like he was like water. Like, like he was, I said, really? And I said, where is he now? She said, he left with them. When I tell you, Jesus is here, Satan is here, because there's strong opposition tonight, Satan doesn't want you to hear this message that God wants your attention. I want to tell you, God is faithful. God is faithful. The devil may have lined you up for his camp. God knows how to find you in the midst of your wilderness. He's just going to show up. And he has. Turn the service to you.